Welcome to the Gentleman Ultra Podcast. We bring nostalgia, history, and tales from both within and beyond Calcio's four white lines. This is Italian football through our eyes. This is the Gentleman Ultra. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the Gentleman Ultra podcast. We've been promising this for quite a while and we've never really got around to doing it, but eventually eventually we actually have. So most people who read the site will know what this is kind of going to be about. It's an alternative podcast on Italian football and we'll be looking at fan culture, uh, nostalgia, stadiums and some of the lesser known stories from the peninsula. So I'm joined today by my two, what I'm going to call regular guests to be, and they're also editors of The Gentleman Ultra. It's Luca Hodges-Ramon and Neil Morris. And I'm going to start with Luca, and I just want you to tell anyone who's listening a little bit about yourself and also why you found the Italian football. Ciao, Richard. It's, uh, as you said, an absolute pleasure to finally get this going. Um, it's kind of an, one of the next steps, I guess, for us is, is doing this podcast um, but yeah, just a bit about myself. Uh, I'm a managing editor now at the Gentleman Ultra. Um, I remember quite a few years ago now, I think it was three or four years at least, when you, you first got in contact with me and invited me to join join the Gentleman Ultra, which was just yourself at first, running a, a very cool blog on kind of, as you say, nostalgia and Italian football, especially from the Football Italia era in the 90s and, and late 80s on, on Tumblr. And I remember uh, vividly starting that series on the ultras of Italian football, a kind of alternative club guide, we ended up calling it, um, which was a brilliant way to get some exposure because it, um, we were lucky enough to, for it to be picked up by The Guardian. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the stories that we had from those first experiences of writing those pieces about Atalanta, for example. I'm sure <laughs> that will come up uh, in the podcast later on. Um, and then the strength's just really gone from from uh, the site, sorry, it's gone from strength to strength in terms of gaining new writers, um, moving platforms, you know, now now having a podcast. Um, so it's just really a pleasure to be able to add this this kind of dynamic um, and be on and continue to to see the site grow. Yeah, massively. I completely agree. It's been I'm sure it's been a lot of years now that this has been going the site in itself and there's been quite a few stories and we'll definitely in one of the podcasts especially have to talk about that Atalanta story but that would take a whole podcast so <laughs> also as I said before we've got Neil Morris so Neil again if you don't mind just telling everyone who's listening just a bit about yourself and how you got involved with the site and obviously why you fell in love with Italian football yeah no problem at all hi guys um uh, I first wrote for the site probably about must be three years ago now. Um, I just remember following it a bit like Luca. I saw it, um, found it really interesting. Um, got in contact with uh, you guys, and then you know you published the piece, which I'm very grateful for. And uh, since last summer, I think it is now, I've been on the editing side, involved with the relaunch of the site, which is abs- you know looking absolutely amazing now. And and like Luca said, the site's just going from strength to strength podcast seemed like the next logical step really um as far as italian football is concerned uh my first interest began um being someone who's uh, in their 40s now it's quite some time ago but uh, in the late 80s uh pretty much i was really into european football when i was younger i, I you know, grew up watching the, the english clubs uh, in europe and then during the late 80s um obviously the english clubs weren't involved so my attention turned to the European teams and you know I've got amazing memories of you know watching AC Milan in the European Cup final at the Nou Camp with 97,000 people there 
uh, things like that, you know, really just captured the imagination. And of course, that was followed very soon after with Italian 90. And then, you know, we were lucky enough to have the, um, the Channel 4 show in the 90s, which I think we all, you know, helped to um, develop our, our love of Italian football. So um, that's where I am. And uh, that's how I came to be writing for you guys today. No, I appreciate that. Neil and Olsen, both another person there who's uh, obviously put us like, from strength to strength in, the, in recent weeks as well. That's how massively getting this podcast together. And so just, you did such on then about Italian 90, and that's what I'm sure everyone's wondering. Well, people will be either thinking on our intro song, I remember that, I love that, or be thinking that it's the worst piece of music ever. But basically, <laughs> that, but basically that song is uh, in the Stati Italiana, and it was done by Giannini Nanini, and Eduardo Bonato, and it was the song that introduced um, the Italian 90 uh, World Cup onto the screens, uh, alongside obviously Pavarotti and some others. But I remember that being performed in, in San Siro. And just a quick one, because you mentioned Italian 90, and I understand, Luca, this may, I know that, I mean, I'm 37, so I was a 10 uh, when this went watching Italian 90, but I still have the memories. I'm sure that you look back as well and it will have a certain uh, element of nostalgia with that but I mean for, for me briefly you know Lothar Mateus scoring against Yugoslavia Andreas Bremer that, that curly goal against Holland in, in San Siro uh, Claudia Kanija getting pretty much killed by the Cameroonians there's so many different memories from that but what what one in particular sticks out for you guys and Neil um, for me there's a couple of things um, one of them's got to be uh, Roger Miller of Cameroon uh, uh, the way he uh, stole the ball off uh, Rennie Higuate and uh, took the ball, uh, took the ball, stuck it in the back of the net, and then went to the corner flag and did his little shimmy. Um, and then, of course, you've got um, Roberto Baggio and uh, the goal against Czechoslovakia. I think uh, it was was probably you know, really brought my attention to him as a player. And uh, probably on the halfway line where he took his very first touch. And then, you know, the rest is just, you know, history. Ah. Took the ball, you know, ah. did a lovely one-on-two and then uh, you know, turned the defenders inside out. And uh, it was just, a, you know, a great memory from that time. I think two things on that. I think first, the Baggio goal, some of the, I remember the commentary on that. And he was really, really one of the, the even though he was one of the darlings of Italian football, you know, again, him and Scalacci, not meant to be the main starters in that tournament, just doing so fantastically well. And he really did come onto the onto the scene at that point. I thought that it was just absolutely fantastic the way he just mesmerised those defenders and just delectable finish. And Higita, on the other hand, as well, I think for me, one of the everyone remembers him for those sort of moments, but you forget with Higita. Arguably, I mean, everyone looks, everyone talks about now the goalkeeper, this sweeper version of a goalkeeper who you know wants the ball at his feet, who can play out from the back, allow you to play a high line. And Higita was that. Higita had that. He was, you know, people talk about Higita like he was a clown. But, like, not only was he a good goalkeeper, a really good goalkeeper, but he was, he was well beyond his time. And if he was playing today, I think that a lot of teams, you know, in Europe now, in, in world football would, or maybe more in Europe, would really be appreciating a goalkeeper of, um, of his talents. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, like you say, I think he's, he's remembered, you know, for the scorpion kick and... Uh... And, and maybe a couple of mistakes here and there. But but back then, you know, there weren't many keepers doing what he was doing in terms of the sweeper role. And I remember, you know, his coach really, really tried to, you know, give him plaudits for it. And I think a lot of the footballing world at the time just didn't understand, you know, what, what's this guy doing? This isn't 
mm. what a goalkeeper should be doing. And he was definitely a, a bit of a pioneer in that role. And of course, you know, as we've seen with other great uh, sweeper keepers since, and, and keepers that are generally, you know, like to play with their feet, you know, there can be mistakes now and then. And, uh, you know, they do tend to get overemphasized. And in his case, probably more so than many. Well, absolutely as well. It's just a shame. I think Hagita, I think it was, uh, and I may have got this wrong, but, uh, Shally there, then well, Paraguayan goalkeeper years later. Yeah, he and again, you know, the fact that these guys should take free kicks as well. It's only a shame that he didn't do any in the World Cup. But uh, no, it was it was certainly a, a fantastic time for him, and it's just a shame that 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 memory was sort of etched on it really because of that. And Luca, so what about your memories? I mean, like I said, probably memories is probably the wrong thing, but you must have looked back in have something there that's quite iconic about Italian ninety. Yeah, uh, disclaimer is I, I wasn't born in, in 1990, I was 91, so one year later. But for sure, the kind of legacy of Italia 90 and obviously the footage that I've seen since and hearing you guys talk about it, speaking to my dad a lot about it, obviously, who was in England at the time, um, him being one of the main reasons that I fell in love with Italian football, obviously, him being a big Milanista. Um, but for me, Italia 90, um, what I've kind of gathered from it since uh, one man is Schilacci, who um, my dad would talk about a lot in terms of his how he suddenly turned up at this tournament. Um, you know, domestically in Italy, never quite uh, recaptured those heights. Um, but finishing uh, with six goals um, yeah. in the tournament and, and the impassioned celebrations and and the theatre that went with it is obviously um, sticks out in the memory. And, and another one is obviously, and I think we've touched it, on it a lot on the site in the past, is the emergence of the English players. Um, obviously a very kind of uh, symbolic World Cup in, in English footballing history. Uh, Gaza's tears, reaching the semi-finals, what ifs. Um, but also how this brought English players to the attention of, of the Italian league, which was obviously the, the kind of growing or the established power in Europe. And then seeing many of these English players move over to the peninsula, like Platt, uh, Des Walker, most famously Gaza. Um, so that was really, I guess, a very significant role or a very significant influence of Italian 90. Um, and Gaza, especially his kind of antics uh, during Italian 90 in terms of stories about him going and enjoying the La Dolce Vita, uh, midnight swims, tennis matches when he shouldn't have been playing tennis matches uh, before big games, these kind of things. And I think a famous quote about not even knowing who Mateus was before playing Germany and being asked to, to play against Mateus and all this kind of stuff. And that obviously then followed through to when Gaza moved to Lazio and you hear, you hear all about the kind of jokes and practical the pranks he played on his teammates. Um, but also what a cult figure he became because of his passion for the game and you know, the, the kind of relationship he developed with the fans. So, so for me, that's really why I, I hold Italian 90. Uh, it, it's close to my heart, even though I obviously wasn't actually um, alive to see it. Yeah, I must say, I think Scalacci, when you mentioned about the emotion, it was, it, it's just his eyes. It was that. Yeah, it reminded me of Tardelli. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then later Grosso in 2006, you know, that those celebrations where there, it's a moment of pure ecstasy and, that you can tell they're not quite there. It's just pure passion. There's always something with Scalacci as well. It was absolutely pure passion. But always, I felt tinged with a mix of he couldn't quite believe he was there doing what he was doing. <laughs> it was there. <laughs> but he was superb. And what a shame that didn't go any better for him afterwards. Obviously, I think Inter got hold of him just afterwards. So that's what they're doing that. Yeah. So, but, 
But no, I think in Gascoigne as well, like you say, I mean, it's, everyone goes back to him because, it, you know, he did mesmerise, uh, you know, mesmerise the Dutch, for instance, you know. Um, mm. I remember that in that game. And also just the antics, like you say, my, one of my favourite memories is straight after that, when he goes to and he goes to Rome and he's absolutely uh, just bewildered and confused when he goes through <laughs> the airport. Absolutely, absolutely mobbed at the airport. Absolutely mobbed. And he went from that to going to the training centre and he's, he's forgotten his trainers. And yeah, uh, he's, they're, they're, he's training yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah and the, the, the trainer's trying to make him uh, do some exercises up and down and up and down. And he turns his back, and Gasco is saying, One, two, miss a few. And he's not even doing yeah, that. He just thinks it's incredible. It's a brilliant for our, for our listeners. It's a brilliant documentary. I think you can find it on YouTube of Gaza's Italian Diaries, That's um, which looks at his time in, yeah. in Rome and at Lazio. And, and it's with James Richardson, obviously, which makes it all the more the more iconic and, and better for it. But um, there's a serious point to it in terms of the um, the misfortune he had with injuries, um, the way that despite he was a fan a fan favourite, he was actually treated quite badly by the club at times, uh, who failed to kind of understand the character that they were deal, dealing with, which is one of the reasons I guess he never really fulfilled where well, he didn't fulfil his potential on the pitch. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We're going to carry on, but just before we do, uh, I think it's right. I think whether whether it's talking about Italian football, past, present, future. Um, obviously, in this site, we're not really going to talk much about the the games on the weekend or you know the scores. There's lots of other places for that. But one of the things that was obviously noted um, recently was the tragic death of Davide Astori, and I think for not only lovers of Italian football, but I think that shocked quite a lot of people uh, around the world, even people not to do with Italian football, just in general, because of the, the tragic nature of it, in the sense we don't normally expect anyone at 31 years of age to pass, never mind uh, an athlete with, in such you know good condition. And I think there's been quite a lot that's happened this week that, that has really made us understand that how footballers, as though we see them as almost like superhuman in some respects or a different breed from us because their lifestyles are so different and various other elements to it that we really got to see the nature through the tributes of the people around him and who were close to him, the nat- what kind of man he actually was. And for someone, as we said before, you know, to, to die of a cardiac arrest is, is terribly sad. And, you know, there's been some fantastic tributes from, you know, when we've seen Chiellini talk after matches, Cesare uh, Pandelli's, you could go on and on and on. Uh, even to some of the articles that have been written, I was really like the one from Giancarlo Rinaldi, which uh, which stated about the fact that we use football as escapism um, from the sometimes miserable parts of everyday life. And so sometimes when tragedy happens in sport, um, it hits our escapism. So sometimes it's doubly hard. I think that's a really good point. But just a quick word on the situation, maybe about the player, David Dea story, um, and, and just how, you know, you've sort of felt about that this week, um, Neil. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, just seeing the images in, in Florence and, you know, and all over Italy and around this week has been incredible, really, just to see the reaction. Um, I think the, the article you mentioned, um, you know, it really did hit the nail on the head about the, the escapism side of football. And I think... Um, you know, when, when when somebody famous or you know whether it's a footballer or a musician or whatever, you know sometimes there's a bit of cynicism of, from people. They you know they can't grasp the concept of feeling that kind of grief about somebody that you've never known. But you know somebody like that, they 
they connect a community of millions. You know, and when something like that, that happens, it really does, you know, it, it reverberates far and wide. And um, I think, uh, you know, and when they're so young as well, and it's such tragic circumstances, it really pulls all those people together. And, you know, you, people then start to reflect on, you know, uh, the fragility of life and, you know, the futility of sport, you know, in the greater context. And, you know, and everyone deals with it in their own way. And, you know, slowly it fades and, and, and we move on. But uh, yeah, seeing the, the scenes in Florence this week pretty much sums it up for me. Yeah, absolutely. Massively, completely agree with that. And Luke, I know, and I've seen, you know, I know you uh, were tweeting about this as well. It's uh, quite a difficult thing to understand, to comprehend and to, to take in. And then, uh, as you know, I thought as Neil said really well, then it's sometimes difficult to understand ourselves, why we feel so connected to someone who we don't even know. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, uh, it, it's, it was a devastating piece of news when we heard it, but I think just to echo both of what you've said about the reaction has been incredible, um, not just from people involved in Italian football, but across Europe. Obviously, I think we've heard good points made about how football is such a kind of globally connected world that, that, that a tragedy like this somewhere has reverberations across across Europe, across the global world of football. So, so you had someone like Antonio Conte coming out and actually wanting to, you know, his pre-match interview before Manchester City, he wanted to do just a separate section where he didn't talk about the game at all and just talked about our story, um, which shows you just how how keen people have been to come out and really um, tell the world about what a great character our story was. Forget about, obviously he was a great player as well, but kind of, they, most of the comments have been not just about how he's a supremely talented footballer, an Italian international who started at AC Milan youth team, you know, has played for the biggest clubs in Italy, but more about what he brought off the field in terms of his infectious personality, bringing a smile to the dressing room. I think that's what Chiellini was saying, that he was, you know, always smiling. Um, Gennaro Gattuso did a really good little interview before the game uh, last night against Arsenal talking about a, a, a little story about how Astori, when he was coming up through the ranks at AC Milan, would always ask the senior players to use the gym because he just had a level of respect and a level of, I guess, um, acknowledgement of the privileged um, situation, career that he had. He loved every minute of it. And obviously, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive loss to, to football in general. Um and yeah, our thoughts go out to, to everyone who knew him, his family, uh, everyone affected by the tragedy. Uh, but as, uh, the, the, the kind of scenes in Florence yesterday for the funeral were, were, were beautiful. And it was, there's been beautiful tributes on Twitter and articles written, as you said, Richard, um, by many people. So I think we can only kind of echo those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so these to, to move on from that, and it does sometimes doesn't seem right to talk about football after it, but looking back and remembering um, another person here is um, we, what we're going to do in this section is look back over certain articles um, that we've had on the site. And this is going to be a section that continues to go on through uh, the series of podcasts because these articles can be very, very vast, very different from Falcon, fan culture to people who've taken trips over to Italy their experiences, so not just about the games, not just about tactics, sometimes about, you know, what's happened to them over there, a great, you know, really strange stories that have happened. But also, as we say, we do also, I suppose the main body of what we do does look back to that. 
sort of uh, nostalgic period of Italian football of late 80s, early 90s. And, and this week's piece we're going to look back to is by Dan Cancian, who's a great writer for our site. And he touched on a player who, <laughs> who I remember really well. Um, but bizarrely, only for only in, for two clubs. I mean, you guys will have very different ideas. But this was a striker who, for me, was potentially underrated. Um, never really probably hit the heights he should have done. And, you know, I remember him particularly from Torino and Udinese. But overall, he also played at Venezia, Roma, Bari, Piacenza, Vicenza and Kona Mantova. And then back to Vicenza as he was Venice-born. And that was Paolo Poggi. Um, Paolo Poggi for me briefly was a man who just seemed to have a good work ethic and managed to always score he was not someone who when I was playing football being 10 years old 11 years old and used to commentate on the local football pitch pretending you were going to be him I don't think I was ever Poggi Um, (laughs) but he's one of the people that every time you watch Football Italia he'd score every week it seemed like he did anyway Um, so the article, um, you know, we'll post online afterwards so you can have a look at it again. Uh, it's a really, really well-written piece. Really privileged to have Dan write that for us. And so, guys, just, um, Luca, starting with yourself. Paolo Borgi, do you remember this guy? He did play for quite a while. And, and what are your lasting memories of this, this guy? Yeah, I mean, first, uh, Poggi, I'll always remember firstly because of his name. I mean, it's a great name, isn't it? Paolo Poggi. Um, <laughs> You don't kind of forget that name, but it was also because, as you said, Richard, I think you described it perfectly when you said he wasn't the kind of player that when you were playing in in, in the park with your mates that you would be pretending to be him or, or shouting his name as you, you smashed one into the top corner. Um, but he was very efficient, very effective, um, scored goals, particularly at Udinese. And that's where my memories lie with him at that brilliant Udinese side of um, Zaccheroni. Who, who became, I think, third, qualified for the Champions League um, in the late 90s when you had, again, the, the Serie A was very strong at that time still. And you had these wonderful forwards. He was competing with forwards like Beerhoff and Amoroso. So, you know, a very talented side. Um, but he scored bags of goals for Udinese. Um, and I, I found it really interesting in Dan's article when he spoke about the influence of Zaccheroni on his own career. Zaccaroni's tactics in terms of the high level that they would train at, at the different kind of situations that they would replicate in training and then bring them into to game situations so that they were they were always ready for different circumstances. And Zaccaroni's, um, sorry, uh, Dan speaks of how Poggi uh, really kind of attributes Zaccaroni to to his his success as a footballer. Um, and I think he first coached him in, at Venezia in Serie C. So. That is obviously a, a relationship that you can read about more in, in Dan's article and, and a really interesting aspect of it. Um, but yeah, Paolo Poggi was one of these great players of, of the uh, Football Italia era that tends to now be forgotten. I mean, other other forwards that come to mind like that, Filippo Maniero for Venezia, another player who played for Venezia. Um, and Poggi for me, because he's from, from the Veneto region, that, that holds extra significance given that so the, my family are from that region um, and it was great actually I'm sure maybe Neil can speak more about this and you will as well Richard when when Poggi actually um, tweeted us back uh, we, we tagged him in the tweet of, of the article and he took the time to say you know look guys thanks for writing this and he retweeted it and he, he now follows us and 
and and we've been in contact with him with with a potential idea. So no, it's it's, it's brilliant, and it just shows you also that these players um, really appreciate when they do get some kind of exposure, and they and they still love kind of looking back at those times uh, because we tend to forget about these kind of players now who who made that league so strong. It was a strength in depth, so it wasn't just your kind of Batistutas, Crespos, Ronaldos. It was these home-born, you know, Dario Hubner, Filippo Maniero, these kind of guys who were making the league what it was. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that because I think as well, like you say, like Dario Hubner, Igor Protti is another one. Protti, yeah, Protti. Yeah. Those, those players that just like, you, you see, and when you look, and maybe that's why, maybe that's why we think they score week in, week out. Because you look at the goal record of uh, Poggio Udinese, 170-odd games and 40-whatever-it-was goals, uh, 42, I think, goals from looking at before. And it's the same with, with Protti, you know. I mean, when <laughs> at Bari, it's a similar record, 112 to 46, and, you know, similar. But it's not outstanding. And I think if we went back and looked at Hubner's, it'd be the same. But they just seem to be there. And obviously, these, some of these teams they were playing for probably, you know, did struggle a little bit. But these guys are the ones who consistently... Uh, perform for them, and I think one thing they all have in common is an incredible work rate as well. Um, you know that, and and probably you know they're not because they were playing in that league. They're not, uh, you know, remembered as well. But I know the, I, also, you know, obviously the Roma situation and why it never worked out. I, I, I have no idea, and I don't think he has either. But what about you, Neil? What do you think? Do you think? Yeah, I'm the same as you guys. Really, I mean, my my, my overriding memory is I'm probably. You know, thanks to Channel Four again, was from the uh, Udinese years, and you know that's where you, when you think of Poggi, that's who you think of. You think of, but then he's got a twenty-year career that spanned another nine clubs, and you forget all about that. And and like you say, the goal record. And then when I was reading Dan's article, you know, it reminds you of things like you know the score of the fastest ever goal in Syria, the oldest score mm. in in the history of Syria B. He's got all these records as well, and um, you know, it, you know, he, he just had an incredible career, but. I'm, I agree with you, Richard. I think when he left um, Udinese, the, the Roma period just maybe killed some of that. You know, took some of the luster and the shine off of what he'd, what he'd done there because, you know, suddenly thrown into the spotlight and it just didn't work out. And then, um, you know, it never really, you know, regained that, that, those same heights again after that. Um, but, you know, from the article, uh, touching what Luca was saying, just the fact that he got in touch with us and uh, loved the article... Um, I think he appreciated the fact that we were telling the story, or Dan was telling the story in, in, you know, in such a such a nice way as well. Um, and you know, and you know, we should probably mention that as a result of that, there is a chance that we we may end up having an interview with him. He's he's agreed to uh, you know get in contact with us about that. So, uh, and and also um, you know, the other thing that came from the article was the which was a really good story. I think was the the story about the missing stickers. I mean, everyone remembers the Panini stickers but in, back in Italy at the time. There was a chewing gum company called Dolbo, and they, they, they did a similar sticker thing to Panini. And there was this big mystery at the time um, because um, nobody could get the, the entire collection, and the two players they were missing was Volpi and Poggi. And it became like a, a really big deal to, to the kids in Italy at the time. Um, and you know the, the stories of parents whose children were being sick from eating chewing gum, trying to get these last two stickers. <laughs> there was a story about um, you know the people in the south of, the, of Italy had heard that the people in the north had the stickers, and vice versa. So there became like this political aspect to it, where the political aspect of conspiracy theory came out of it, and it, to the point where it actually got debated in Italian Parliament as well. 
um, and, and, and an investigation was launched to see if the company was you know, doing it on purpose just to sell more <laughs> chewing gum. And uh, you know, I think they, they got let off the hook in the end because um, the company was ended up just being a distributor and, and, and the stickers were actually made by another company who were based in Spain. So it became like an international thing then. And I think the, the Italian government said, well, let's, let's just forget it and let it go. Um, but to this day, you know, people are still, you know, talk about the mystery of these stickers and, and people claim to have them and, and others don't. And then, um, you know, there's even been a, an Italian pop song written about it. Um, which, uh, but I think in Italy, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I think that could only happen in Italy. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the song's actually been uploaded onto our onto our um, Gentleman Ultra radio channel. So people that come and listen to the podcast can have a listen to the, the Volpe Poggi song as well. And so, yeah, you know, for one article to, to generate, you know, the memories of the player, um, contact with the player, and then this whole other story, um, it, it was just absolutely brilliant for me. And I think that's what the, the website's all about. And, you know, we uncover these stories and they just take on a life of their own. And um, and I think our readers really appreciate that. So what fair play to Dan for, for setting the ball rolling. That was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so we've, put, we've put a call out for the podgy sticker as well, haven't we? Uh, yeah. Yeah, no response so far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably because it's worth about £50,000. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> it. Uh, no, so we've got no replies to that. You say no replies at all. No, I say it's like asking someone if they've got a winning lottery ticket. I think because you know if if you if you had, if you got hold of one that you know you probably get a, an absolute fortune for it. So have we, have we asked Podgy if he's got one himself. <laughs> he's 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 actually just hiding all. Of them. He's got all of them. Yeah, he's got everything he wants. It's no wonder he's got that apartment. Didn't he say he had um, a, a, a holiday home near in, overlooking St. Mark's Square? Yes, that is in the article, I believe. Well, that's how yeah. he got it, though, didn't he? <laughs> 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 okay. Um, right, guys. Well, one more thing we're going to talk about. Again, normally we'd probably just talk about one article, but there has been something. Every so often there are certain things that we do on the site, which is part of the series or part of... Um, a collection and we've done one recently which was the top 10 Azori kits we also did the top um, young players in Italy that also featured on the Guardian Sports Network um, and when we did the top 10 Azori kits the, there's a lot of people I mean football kits like football stadiums in some way everyone's got a favourite everyone's got something that really flicks a switch on it and especially in that sort of early 90s late 70s that was the last 50 years with the Italian football kits we had to narrow it down to um, you know, everyone's got a favourite. Everyone's got something that really they remember. Uh, I know for, I've got absolutely loads that I could think of that really uh, bring you back to a certain place. And so we undertook the most bizarre task of trying to narrow that down. And we thought, well, that's going to do nothing but get us criticism, really, to be fair. And so what we're trying to do is find really, the, you know, we're trying to find the, num the number one and the best kit. So we looked all the way through this list. So what I'm going to do now is um, I'm going to just quickly list these out of what they were. And then what I'm just asking you guys is like, there's been so many, so probably can't talk about all of them, but I just want you guys to talk about which ones that really matter to you and why, because there were so many and there's so, and even, you know, I've got about five, I think we missed out of all of this. I mean, but I'm sure if everyone read this list, they could think of five or six that they think should have been in there as well. So, 
I will do this as quickly as possible. But we looked at the Calgary home shirt from 69 to 70. And that's obviously iconic because back then in 69-70, Calgary won the Scudetto with Gigi Riva, And that was, um, yeah, way before my time. But it is still now iconic. And you see it sort of replicated again. Atalanta home shirt, uh, 1990 91. Now, now, for me, as it's put on the article here, now that's Claudio Canizia all over. Absolutely all over. Fantastic kit. And obviously from that era. One that's very, very close to my heart is Inter 88-90. And we'll all remember that mainly because of the three Germans in Matthias Bremer, Klinsmann. A fantastic era of uh, football for me personally. Uh, one that started a lot of this love affair with Italian football. And then one is a team now coming back to, hopefully back to the top flight soon. Uh, Parma, their kit from 95-97. We remember players of Zola, Aspria, etc. from there. Surprised that this one got in it, 11, um, 11 Palmer, sorry, Palermo home kit, uh, 07-08. Obviously, remember Cavani and many players there, uh, like Mikuli, Amoria, etc. But phew, I'm surprised at that one, personally. Uh, Verona, a home kit, that makes a lot of sense when they won the Scudetto, 84-85. Um, this one is beautiful, I have to admit. But again, I'm surprised it went in. Tor- Torino's third kit from 14-15, a modern one there. That is beautiful, though. Worth looking it up. Uh, Venezia, um, home, 98-99. Again, I'm just... was the kit which um, uh, Ricobo was uh, wearing when he went there for that beautiful little spell. Roma in 87-88. Another classic one there. Uh, Obviously, everyone remembers the Barilla sponsor. Uh, Vicenza, home, 77-78. That must be all you putting that in there, Luca. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I must, uh, there's no other reason for that being there. <laughs> it's funny that the kids you've mentioned so far about being surprised are in there, uh, are mainly my, my yeah, ones that I fought for the hardest. <laughs> no, well, I'm just doing my opinion while I'm going along, you see, so I don't need to do it again. Uh, Napoli, home. It got a lot of votes, though, Richard, that kit. I mean, it's, that's why it's high at the list of the people, you know, we put yeah. it out to Twitter and it got loads yeah, of loads. I'm really proud of Rossi. Paolo Rossi element, yeah. I think. Yeah, you see the Napoli home, 87, 88. I prefer the one with Mars on the front, but never mind. We'll move on. <laughs> on. Juventus, uh, 95, 96. I have to agree with that. Or That was um, the, the one with the big yellow star and the, and the blue. Uh, that was a superb team as well, that actually. A really, really good team. Surprises didn't win it, to be honest. Sampdoria home, 1991. Even though I didn't vote for that. Um, that is a beautiful kit, and that's really iconic, I think, of Italian football. Fiorentina mm. home, uh, 98-99. Again, surprised with this. I thought the um, Fiorentina one that would get in there would be the seven away kit. I think 92-93, am I wrong? Round about that. Yeah. But he yeah. Uh, and the winner, uh, yeah, the, the number one really um, is fantastic. AC Milan, 88-90. Uh, Medellin from... Ah, it's Berets, it's Rijkaard, it's Hull, it's Maldini. It's, it's that team. It's just incredible. And then the ones we missed out, we asked our readers uh, to, to have a look and, uh, and see what they thought. And they actually picked the Lazio home kit, 86-87, which was uh, redone the other season. Um, and, and can I just put out, which I've meant to say before, this whole idea and everything that was uh, done by this article was uh, done by Martin Dunlop. And he wrote the final article. It's absolutely fantastically done and a brilliant piece. Um, and it's caused, obviously, a lot of interest. So, 
I mean, look, for me, I'm annoyed that Inter, the Inter home kit <laughs> didn't win it. I thought that should have been number one and number two, the AC Milan and the uh, Inter home. Uh, but that's just me. So, guys, <laughs> you know, where to start? Luca, we know you put uh, Vicenza in there. So, what, does, what, what else? I feel like, yeah, I feel like I need to defend... I need to defend my choices from Richard here. Um, <laughs> so, no, no. First of all, brilliant debate on Twitter. Thanks for everyone who got involved. We had so many people tweeting us with recommendations of other kits. You know, Mark, Mark Neal, a long-serving writer for the site. Um, he's a big Bari fan. And he, he kind of tweeted us some beautiful Bari kits. Uh, there was a classic Clemonese kit, the Graham, the, the Graham Red, when they won the Anglo-Italian Cup at Wembley. Um, <laughs> And there was a very kind of, <clears throat> it was a very kind of, I think it was Pescara. It was a very interesting design, um, very lurid. But yeah, um, in terms of the list, uh, can't really argue with Milan number one, um, being a Milanista and, you know, owning a classic Milan shirt, not that particular one, but it is, it is just the, col- the colours are so iconic and that is a beautiful uh, kind of simplistic and elegant design. Um, again, Samp, you can't have a, 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 an Italian top kit list without having a Sampdoria kit high up there. It's, you know, they even play on that saying the most beautiful kits in the world or, or something like that tagline. So their kits are always, um, you know, spectacular. Um, but in terms of my my picks, Vicenza, um, because of the fact that they came second that season, a bit like... Um, you know, that we actually put it between the Perugia and the Vicenza uh, kit to a public vote to, to cut it down to the final 15 because we couldn't really decide between these two. And in many ways, they're very similar in terms of their, I guess, historic um, significance in terms of both teams narrowly missed out on the Scudetto. Um, in, I think they were um, one season after the other. Um, so that was a time when you had these provincial teams, which you obviously very, very well, it doesn't really happen anymore in Italy. You had these provincial teams challenging the big boys like Juve and Milan and Inter um, for, for the Serie A title. So I, for me, that was quite an iconic one, um, given my heritage, my family heritage from Vicenza. Um, the Palermo kit is purely because it's pink, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, could have chosen any number of Palermo kits, but as you said, Richard, iconic players such as Cavani, Miccoli, Amauri, later Pastore joined um, Palermo, and they were they were very successful in that era, coming fifth, I think, a couple of times, nearly even qualifying for Champions. Yeah, they nearly qualified in the Champions League. But yeah. So it's 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 to do as well as we said in in the kind of article with not just the appearance of these kits. Um, but also what they meant for the club, what they mean for the fans, what memories do they do they kindle, what players um, wore these strips. Um, and Torino third, again, yeah, you know, you wouldn't have expected to see that on that list. That was purely because of the beauty of the kit and the, the tribute of, of the kit in terms of that kind of patterned ball that you see on the front um, contains the names of Torino's greatest players, uh, which includes um, the Grande Torino side who tragically died in, in the Superga, the Superga air crash. Um, so for me, that was just a, a beautiful tribute um, and a beautiful kit. And, and, you know, Torino, one of the iconic Italian sides. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, that, that was, like you said, a tribute meant 
quite a lot. So didn't Palmer do something uh, not similar, but didn't Palmer have the names of all their season ticket holders? Um, mm. One of their kits about when they're still in Serie A. I can't remember. That does that does ring a bell. Yeah, maybe so. Does, anyone, yeah, that does ring a bell. anyone who knows that can uh, tweet the site and let me know because I'm sure I'm sure they did have that. It was all very much etched there, uh, all in all in different colours, even in the white part of it. But now this, you're right that the, these kits do represent obviously not just the, the aesthetics. It is about what it meant at the time, and I think a lot of these kits as well. You know. I, in fact, I will say that in your defence with the Vicenza and some of the ones, especially with the Calgary as well, it's even more impressive that those kits get in. Because, as we were saying before, everyone's born in different areas. Everyone knows people from a different time. And so, you know, it's like for myself talking about that 88, 92 sort of era, uh, that original point when you first fall in love with the two Milan clubs and the derbies and, and everything else. And, you know, you pick your side of me, and obviously with myself, it's uh, it's into and you look at that and and you know all the emotion comes into that and a lot of times in the kits of that era those seasons will will stay with you as well. Um, I thought we'd have a lot more just from the readership a lot more um, in two thousand two thousand two maybe and things like that. But it's testament to those teams that the teams like that that the team got the kits from uh, Verona you know that go in because uh, obviously that was a miracle uh, that season and. So it just shows that the embodiment of those kits and what that team achieved at that time still makes people look back with uh, with such nostalgia and give them so much credit for it as well. So, no, it's, it is good. And, and, and then, Neil, come on, what, what were your picks that I've not been able to slate yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'll come to that in a minute. <laughs> uh, first, I must say, um, it, it, I think it's an absolutely brilliant list. Um, you know, it, if you if you go on the website and look at it, you know the first thing you see is 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 Gigi Riva, and the last thing you see is Rude Hullet. You know that that great shot of him at the end there. So, it, you know just the great two beginning and ends to the list there right away, and it shows the spectrum of shirts that were covered and, and the eras that were covered. And I think that's a brilliant thing about it. I mean the fact that you you know you hate some shirts on the list, you love others. I mean that's what it's all about. It's a list that's you know takes a bit from all the people that you know were put some input into it and and uh you know there's a real good cross section there you've got people that voted on you know from a fashion perspective you know the favorite shirt maker or the sponsor and then you've got people who you know voting on certain eras memories goals players etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean i think you know like like you say fiorentina and at number two is a bit of a shock but i think you know thinking about channel four and football italia and everything that that whole Sort of mid '90s generation was the Nintendo generation, and <laughs> I, like many, spent many an hour, you know, on a on a Sunday, you know, playing uh, GoldenEye on the on the N64, and then you know, switching on Football Italia afterwards. And uh, I think that's you know that shirt, you know, appealed to a lot of people for that reason. Personally, I went for the away kit from that year because I, I preferred the white. Um, I was probably the only person. That the only kit on my list that made it was the uh, Atalanta uh, from 1990 um, it's, it's quite a rare kit. They only made it for that one year. Uh, the year before, the, the, the sponsor had a horrible white bar behind it. Still an Aneri kit, but it was uh, it had, the, had the white bar behind it. And then the following year, they switched to Lotto. And it was that period when they were putting weird hologram patterns into the material and stuff. And it just lost that um, that classic um, status of that 1991 kit. And as you say, Canizia, and also let's not forget the uh, Glenn Stromberg, 
probably the you know the two of them had the best hair in football at the time. And they clearly <laughs> you know, got a thing for blondes there, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just you know remember at the time it just uh, it really really stood out. And um, both great players, of course, as well. Um, I remember Stromberg because you know when I when I was, when I was very 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 small, uh, he was at the Gothenburg side. Um, I think they won they won the. UEFA Cup was it in the early 80s but after that I just remember him being talked about a lot and I used to buy football annuals and stuff and he used to be in there and then um, you know I remember him from that those Atalanta years um, but yeah that was the shirt of mine that made the list the only the other one I voted for which didn't make the list but you know it was a Milan shirt it was from that same area it was from that same team and it, but it was the 89 um, away kit and the reason being I remember it from um, the European Cup final um, and it was just, you know, they absolutely uh, thumped Stal Bucharest. And uh, the, the white kit just looked absolutely perfect to me. Um, so, yeah, that was my other choice. But uh, I've got no problem with the, with the final list at all. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that was it. And that game against Bucharest, I always remember Rude Hullet saying, if there's ever a game to watch the perfect uh, way out to play 4-4-2, that was it. Um, just a quick one. If anyone doesn't follow Glenn Stromberg on Twitter, it's really worth a follow. Yeah, I do. <laughs> he's he's, he's done crazy. He's uh, he's still got great hair as well. He has, he has. Yeah. He's, he always ends up in bizarre places on match day. He seems yeah, yeah. turn up in in restaurants and, and end up being the only person watching the Atalanta game, no matter what country he's in. So he's, he's definitely worth a follow. Yeah, I think I think he's always on the move because he, he you know he works for um, a TV station. Um, I think a Swedish TV station. So he's always he's always around. But yeah, following him on Twitter and, and keeping up with his antics is is quite amusing. So everyone get on Twitter and follow Glenn. <laughs> Hashtag Stromberg, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> your initiative. We'll have to get him on one day if he if he uh, if he speaks English. <laughs> and also, by the way, they just don't make Sundays like that anymore, Neil. No, Nintendo no, then. Yeah. You that that is. No, um, what a Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I was always sensible world of soccer and then uh, football Italia. But yeah. <laughs> also with Glenn, with Glenn Schomburg, if we can get him on for an interview, um, he still lives in Bergamo and he speaks perfect Italian. So Luca, you'll be fine to do the interview. <laughs> Short flight. Short flight. Yeah, we go over. <laughs> yeah. Well, just before I finish, just one thing on this. Uh, my three there with. The two Milan, the, well, the Milan kit, the Inter kit, which are on there. But the one I put on as well, which didn't go on, which I was surprised and I thought would win it, not just to say it's because of Football Italia, was the Lazio kit when Gascoigne went over. Um, I think it was, what was it, 93, 94? Yeah, 92, 93. You know, yeah, 92, 93 is when he first played, I think, in a proper season because the transfer got delayed and everything like that. But yeah, one of those years. Yeah, I thought that one might make it. I thought that one would have a chance of uh, getting on, but no, it's so. Yeah, Bianca de Roma, that's, that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, that's that, it. Yeah, excellent stuff. Well, one thing uh, we're going to be doing, um, obviously, first of all, should I say, I'm ahead of myself there. First of all, it's anyone who has a look at that, you know, we're still interested in comments, still interested to see if anyone's got any other options. Uh, of, of shirts that they would have sort of liked to have seen on and also if anyone uh, fancies doing a top 15 top 20 of anything else around that era anything that stands out for them uh, please just always give us a shout um, you know that that would always be good as well so yeah, I, should, I should 
add, sorry, Richard, yeah. that the article will also be going live on the Guardian. Yeah. Potentially today is in the day we're recording, but very soon it will be up on the Guardian. So um, should should interesting comments in the uh, on that as well. Yeah. Oh yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's going to be an interesting comment section. Um, so yeah, so you know, moving forward with this podcast, I think over the next couple of weeks we will always look at an article. That's on the site just because we like to look back at certain things and, and anything that's of interest. Also, any uh, topics becoming obviously with anything from like we said before. If you're traveling to Italy, you have a story to tell us. You know anything you want to get in touch with us about, please do. Uh, we talk a lot about the the culture of the the ultras and the groups there. You know any experiences. Again, get in touch. And we're going to let this podcast sort of embryonically develop itself. And so you know there'll be interviews. We'll bring people, different people on. So. Obviously, you know, please stay tuned for that. Uh, we've got a lot coming up. It is our first one today, so it has been, well, not too rocky. In parts, I think it's not been too bad. So we're going to continue to adapt it and move it on. So I'm just going to pass you back to these guys because is there anything else you guys want to add before we uh, before we go? Neil, I'll let you go first. Oh, just one sec as well. Don't forget to shout out your Twitter handles as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, no problem at all. Um, what is my Twitter handle? It's um, at nmorris01. I think that's right anyway, sir. But you find us all on the Gentleman Ultra anyway. So, no, I just want to um, thank you guys. Uh, it's been a good first pod. Uh, I think we've covered quite a lot and, um, you know, quite in depth as well. It's been an interesting chat. Um, look forward to doing some more. Um, and, you know, like you say, it'd be great if um, anyone that follows us on Twitter has got any ideas that they want us to chat about, then just uh, fire a message on there and we'll, we'll see what we can do. Over to you, Luca. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Twitter handle at LH underscore Ramon25. Um, but as Neil said, you can find us all on the Gentleman Ultra site and all the details on there. Um, yeah, it's been, been an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's, fine. It's, it's great to finally get this, this underway. Um, hopefully this will help us interact with our followers as well because I think the main thing that we, we always try and get across is that we wouldn't really be doing this without... Um, the people who dedicate their time to write for us, but also everyone who who you know supports us on Twitter, shares our articles, comments on our articles, and um, the reaction as as we touched upon on the kits um, series this week has been brilliant. And so just keep that coming. Really, any ideas you have for us, um, fire over on Twitter. Any questions for future pods? We will put out a tweet um, inviting questions um, about certain topics, but. Yeah, just keep, keep keep in touch with us, and um, yeah, a lot to look forward to. And thanks, thanks again, Richard, for for hosting this pod, and I guess starting it all in the first place. Now, cheers. It's uh, I think like everybody, everybody, like echoing what you say. Just everyone who's been involved with this has brought it on. I mean, yeah, okay, I started it almost just because of, of you know the love of being nostalgic about Italian football, but it's amazing how many people also share that love of of doing that and. You know, this this was just a little blog and it's not, you know, it's everyone else who's been involved in that who's got it from strength to strength and where it is, is today. And, and, and especially you guys, you brought it as far forward as it is. And all the writers, as you say, you know, everyone's doing it out, just literally a labour of love. So it's much appreciated. So so there we go. So if anyone wants to get in touch, you've heard the guys' Twitter handles, you know where we are. Um, my Twitter handle is at richhall80. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch. And until we don't have a clue, uh, should I say, when the next one will be, maybe weekly, maybe fortnightly, uh, probably weekly. 
but um, until then, I am going to let Luca go and hang his Vicenza kits up. I'm going to let Neil go and find his Stromberg blonde wig. And I'll say ciao for now. Ciao.